Hey everyone, this is Pastor Stephen. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast, and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. And pursuing after His. And I remember in John three sixteen, we know all could probably quote it, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The truth is God sent God saw the need, God provided for the need, and God made a way when there seemed no way. And if the church can have that, we can make the difference as the giving church. And that's truly what we need to get back into. That's what we need to to pursue after in everything that we have. Because if we do not do that, then what is the point of being here? What is the point of coming into this place? at all because we're just doing religious things if we do anything else and I just want to encourage you I'm not trying to bash anybody I'm not trying to discourage anybody I truly believe it's time that we start looking inwardly and asking God what does he see that we need to change and it's that impact that allows us to really hold on a little deeper a little bit more tighter to the Father's hand in all that we do. Because as Pastor Kenny alluded to this morning, we don't get our hope from the United States government. We don't get our hope from our politicians. We don't get our hope from everybody else. Our ultimate hope will come from the man who has transformed this world in more ways than we could ever count. I mean, if you think about what Jesus did, He put a separation in our understanding of time. If you don't want to to know where I'm getting to, if you know the calendar, we have it marked with A.D. and B.C. It was his life that split it into two and defined where we are in our current moments. And that being said, it should be that heart that we seek after for Jesus in all that we do. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to go ahead and open it up into the scripture. If not, it's in the bulletin, and not, it's going to be on the screen. And if you're at home and it's not on the screen, just go and pause the video real quick and go and find your, your Bible so you can read the scripture. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. And it's going to be out of verses 32 through 37. And I know what you're going to say when we get through this. And let me tell you right now, you might think one way, but it might not be exactly where I'm going. Because sometimes God gives us one word, and that word can have different influences if we actually look at the aspects of what we need to. If you have it, say, I got it. Man, you guys talk talk back a little bit this morning. You guys do realize, I like a church that's vocal, right? Come on, say amen, brother. Come on, we got to get our calisthenics up. Do I need to have everybody stand up for a second and wake up? I know the rainy, dreary days might put us to sleep, but do I need to do that? No. But anyway, as we read the word, let's just go ahead and stand this morning as we read God's word this morning. That'll be a way to wake you up, I guess. And the word of the Lord says, Now the full number of those who believed were with one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that he had belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimonies to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great place, a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many were the landowners or, or have houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they had sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also known by the apostles as Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father God, you know where I'm going. They don't know what I'm getting ready to preach on. But God, I ask that you let touch every ear in this place. And let their guards be brought down. Lord, let them not think about what their focus is, is where we're going. Because God, your word is greater and deeper than what we'd ever understand. And what I need right now is people that have itchy ears and open hearts and open minds to hear the truth of what your word says. So touch us this morning as we talk about what a giving church looks like. And be with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said? You may be seated. Now I'm going to be honest. You heard those scriptures, and you're like, okay, what's he going to talk about? He just wants money. Right? Because they sold all that they had and gave it all into one thing. So guess what? We should all go and sell everything we have and make it a communal life and see how life works. You know what? A lot of people would have that same mentality within that scripture. But let me tell you. The tithes and the offerings are important aspects of our faith. They are part of the worship that we give to God. Because God requires worship. He says that if we won't do it, the rocks will cry out. And if we won't do what he asks us to do, he has to move through other means. And I don't know about you, but I don't want him to ever have to go through other means to get what he needs. I want him to move on my heart and change it. And that should be the same thing you have. So the tithes and offerings are requirements because the tithe, what it does is it goes into the house and it makes sure this building operates. It takes care of the heating, the cooling, the electrical, and everything else. It helps cover the pastor's expenses. It helps to cover materials that we use for the teaching curriculums. It helps keep the internet on so we can have a live stream. It helps to go and, and put money into the food bank so we can provide the needs for the community. No, it doesn't cover it all because we have partnerships within the community that we use and utilize to meet the need. And if our hearts are in line with God, we will want to always be obedient in all of our worship. But that is not what I've come here to say this morning. A giving church is not a church that's callous and, and calculative and thinking that it's all about the money. That's why last week when I opened it up, I talked about the heart of where we need to go. The heart of worship. The heart of the purpose of the church to go into all the nations to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach them the ways of what Jesus had taught. And it's the church's job to be that vessel. It's your job to go into places that don't seem like you need to go to and actually be a light in their darkness to let them see the mess that they're dwelling in and awaken up their hearts and their minds to hear you. I know it's not easy to wake up, though. If you hadn't read this morning, my wife apparently put out a post online that I asked her for a pair of medicines that I normally take. And she came and gave me some medicine and said, here, honey, take it. And I took it and I said, this tastes a little bit different. 
And about two seconds later, she says, oh, no, I gave you my medicine. And I'm like, what did you give me? And she gave me a medicine that helps with nausea. And she says, I guess you're going to be sleeping good because one of the side effects is this makes you very droggy. I think it's kind of funny that it, I had my sermon done and that part kind of fell through and, or fell into my life. And I was like, okay, it's not easy to wake up. It's not easy to get going. And some days we might be so drugged up with what we're dealing with that we cannot wake up. But when we need our alarm clocks moving around us and waking us up gently enough to where we don't go scouring and screaming at everybody in the house. Because in my house, we have many daughters. And if there was not so, I would not have said so. And they make lots of noise. But I love every single one of them. But one thing that I realized was that a giving church is a church that's active in all of our lives. You see, a lot of people think the church is just when we come here on Sunday. They think that they're good because, oh, I, I, I'm a good Christian because I show up on Sunday. I go to church. And I'm looking at people sometimes when I hear those words and I say, you do realize the church is not the building, it's you. I always have that saying, keep it simple, stupid, right? You're the church. If that means that you're the church, you should be seeking God in all that you do and all that you are and how you apply yourself throughout all of your life. But a lot of people don't put that focus on it. A lot of people put their focus on what they think that she should get. But what God's heart is, is to move through you and be the empowerment to allow you to make a difference where you're at. You see, I know that every time we talk about a giving church, the money aspect comes up. But that's never been the heart. You should be free willingly giving whatever God's giving you back to the one and watch him provide what you need. Doesn't mean I want everything you have. I don't want your money. That's why I always preach. If you want to give, give. If you don't, don't give. But one thing I've learned is in my own life is giving is better than receiving. Just like forgiveness is not better than obedience. I'd rather be obedient than have to ask God for all the mess-ups I've done. I'd rather give and watch God bless through that than to be grudgingly holding on and then waiting for God to back it out. But that being said, got to get my brain in here. I'm still drugged up, Sister Amy. So you never know what might come out of my mouth, and if it's something that might seem different, just go with me for a second here. The scripture this morning out of Acts chapter 4 Looks like we're going to talk about money. But I don't want to talk about the money. I don't want to talk about them selling everything that they have. I want to talk about one little nugget in that whole entire scripture that we could look at and address in our own lives. And that one little nugget is a man named Barnabas. You're like, okay, he's got a barn and a bus. Okay, let's go with that. See, Barnabas was not his real name. His name was Joseph. But the apostles knew him as Barnabas. You see, there's something interesting when we get into some of the nicknames we get, people. I, I'm sure if I asked you, what was your best friend's nickname, you'd probably say, well, that was Skippy, or that was Sonny, or that was something different. And it could be something silly and something just, just, just crazy. You want to know what my nickname in high school was? 
monkey. I'll explain later, but I'll just say it was one of the stupid nicknames you could ever have. I owned it, I, I, I take it, and I do whatever I want with it. But you can call me whatever, but I don't care. A nickname doesn't always identify who you are. But when I look at the scriptures, every time that one man in the scripture had one name before, and then he gets known for another name, it's because there's an impact that they've done on their lives. If you don't believe me, look at Saul. Saul was a man that was wicked and wanted to go and kill everybody that was a Christian and to stop the movement of this Jesus followers so that they would not wreck his own life. But then on the road to Damascus, God showed him his marvelous light and he says, why are you persecuting me? You will no longer be known as Saul, but Paul. It's like Peter. Peter was not his name. It was Simon. But Jesus looked at him and says, hey, you're a hardhead, you're a rock, so I'm going to name you Peter. So you're going to be the one that I build my church upon. And when we look at the scripture, what we find is that Joseph was known by those that were affiliated with the church as Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. You see, there's something about that that we need to take in to our own lives and how we approach everything that we do. Because only then can we see that the power of a church that is equipping the world around us can only come when we realize what our words are and the impact that they have. See, I got stuck in a car a lot of times with my kids. We had a minivan before we had uh, Nora. Great. Four kids in the back seat. They're fine. DVD player going. They're constantly good. And in our car, we had this thing called uh, Liberty's Kids playing constantly. I think I've watched or I've heard every single episode at least 20 times, which is a lot. But one of the things in there that they talked about was the foundations of the, of the whole entire United States and they were writing letters and trying to do journal art articles for the newspapers for Ben Franklin's uh, paper that he had. And there was an argument that says, hey, you do realize words matter. And they're like, what? I can't say whatever I want to. No, words do matter. And so I was really processing that this week and I was like, you know what? Sometimes the church has got some empty words. But sometimes we don't realize that there's a purpose for everything that we say. And I looked at the founding fathers and I was like, okay. I know that those men argued constantly, sometimes to almost fistfights, when you read the historical accounts about when they were drafting the Declaration of Independence. I mean, how else could you come up with words that are so elegant to where you could say, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those words have power and impact in allowing to have our nation shaped, to allow people to find inspiration to take up arms against a nation that has always been their mother nation, even though they felt like they were, were, were just ex like completely spun out and left on their own, they still had the imprint of the Great Britain, and those words changed the course of history.
It was men that calculated the words with a precise manner to allow something within them to be stirred to a greater knowledge and a greater hope. And it led to the Revolutionary War where we fought for freedom, where we fought for hope, where we fought for perseverance, where we fought to see something change. And then years later, the same men that helped shape it wrote the U.S. Constitution where they wrote the very beginning of the preamble where it says, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. I think it's interesting that everybody seems to think that the United States should be perfect. We're not perfect. We're imperfect people working towards a, an idea of perfection to where we could establish justice and to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide the common defense, to promote the general welfare and to secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves and to the, our prosperity, to ordain and to establish this constitution of the United States. You see, the words that they wrote on these things, these pieces of paper, these parchments, had the ability to transform a once wholeheartedly divided colonies all across of the early America to allow them to find unity, to see purpose, to see hope that life could be greater than they'd ever understand. But they had to look first at what it is. Because if the words were never chosen correctly, the nation would have fallen apart. If you don't believe me, imagine your household and you looked at your spouse all the time and you says, you know what, I don't know why I'm with you. You're worthless. Imagine how fast that marriage would fall apart. Because what I want somebody to understand this morning is this truth. The words that we use or the words that we use in the church matter. I know there's not an E on there, so forgive me. The words we use in the church matter. Why do they matter so much? Why do I get up here to preach? It's not because I wrote some elegant speech that says you should listen to me and it'll transform your life. The words that I use have to be so calculative and understanding of the diagonal of what Jesus wrote in the scriptures, what the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to do, that I could take that word and allow it to be something that would be edible to your life, to make it to have something happen in your hearts and your minds each and every day. But even better yet, the words we use in church as the church matter so much because of what it can do to people around us. You see, the church has had a lot of bad words. You're like, okay, where's he going with this? We've had a lot of bad words. The church has been misleading a lot of people astray in some ways. You have churches that are doing sparkle creeds and all these different crazy things that sound phenomenal. They're great words. They're great inspiration. But let me tell you, inspiration should never come from the words, but it should come from the hope. And the words should be just an aspect of what it's doing inside of you. But now you guys are talking so much. You see, I can remember 
being like a sailor in the way I spoke. You can, you can figure out what I'm talking about. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain it after church. But what I, what I found was, as the church gets closer to God, there's something that changes within our relational ability to communicate. You see, when I got closer to God, I learned that the words got kicked out that I used. When I got closer to God, I learned the words were changing something else. I learned that as I got closer to God, that he was doing something with inside of me to make a difference to not just me. You see, one of the things that the giving church has to realize is, is that your words have the power to do so, mighty, so much mighty, wonderful things. If we would allow it. It has the power to be generous. To give people hope. To pour into people. To give them the ability to know that there's future and hope beyond the mess that they're in. Better yet. It has the ability to empower the people as we pray over them wherever we're at. It could be at Walmart. It could be wherever you're at. And you look at somebody and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, I need you to use your words because they matter. To pray over these people to give them a future and a hope to let them know that I'm not forsaking them. You see, there's a power in the words that we give as the church in our communities to be a beacon and a driving point to allow God to become exalted in all that we do. But I've also known a church that would give words that are so evil and vile. Like people walk into the church and go, why are you here today? People standing up at the wrong times because they didn't follow their flow while he's just doing what he wants to do. But what I've learned is it's better sometimes to keep your mouth shut sometimes because your words matter more than you'd ever understand. Because you don't know what people are dealing with and what they're going through. I've had situations where I had to put my foot in my mouth because I got a little too ahead of myself and I said I had to go and apologize emphatically to allow them to realize that it was just my flesh getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And that's what we have to really hold on to, church. Because Barnabas was known as a man of encouragement. Could you imagine the early church? Without men like him that were stepping up, that were ones that were going around to everywhere they'd go, and everybody going, what's so different about you? What makes you so wonderful? What makes you so much greater than what I ever realized would ever happen? And the scripture says he encouraged everybody. Because what he understood was the truth that the power of our heart's generosity is often seen through our words. You're like, hold on, hold on, wait, wait, wait one minute, Pastor. What is that supposed to mean? Told you last week, whatever's in our heart comes out. When I was a teenager, I used to always argue against the Christian faith. I would go through and try to find scientific evidence to say this is why God doesn't exist. This is why this is happening. This is why that was happening. God doesn't exist is what I used to argue. 
But what happened was this thing happened in my heart that started turning it into a, a heart of flesh where God was beating inside of me in tune with me that all of a sudden my own ideas and my words that were melting in my heart that were so divisive started transforming so they could be unitive. You see, I didn't choose the heart that I have. I chose the surrender that I had. When I said, Jesus, I know you're real. I need you to come and fix the mess that I am so that I can have a future and a hope knowing that it's not about me, God, but it's all about you. And it was in those moments that I found that God was moving on every person around me. It's like in Acts chapter 11, uh, 24, it says, For he was a good man, full of spirit, of, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great uh, many people were added to the Lord because of the words that they would say. I don't know about you, but what I keep looking around, left and right, up and down, is looking for what God is trying to say needs to change. We have a world that's upside down, it feels like. We have people that want to say words don't matter unless it's something that they agree with. You should just be quiet if you don't agree with what I say. But let me tell you, the church has got to be a giving church where the words of his heart come through each and bit of every little bit of our flesh. Because only then can we see a radical transformation go, according, go accordingly. I mean, what I realized was I was script, studying the scripture. I was looking every which way, trying to find what God was doing in our hearts and what he's calling us to do today. And I looked at Jesus. Let me tell you, if you have anybody ever tell you don't look to Jesus as your ultimate example, run. But I looked to Jesus' ministry. And I said, God... How is it that he was able to do such mighty works and do some mighty things and watch people's lives transform? And he says, because he's me, he has my heart, he's the word, but watch what he does with it. And I was like, okay, God. I started digging through my word and I started reading through it and I was like, okay. Well, I see Jesus went up to the disciples and said, hey, you follow me. They followed him started looking a little bit deeper. I started watching him do miracles. I, I, I watched him go to the pool of Bethesda and reach down and look at this man that's been lame for how many years and says, hey, do you want to walk? And he's like, I wish I could, but I can't get in the pool. And he says, hey, just take up your mat and walk. Watch what happens. And I started going, okay. There were times in his healing ministries that he would go to people and he would minister to them. But there were other times when people would come to him. Or better yet, they'd start shouting at him. They'd start going, hey, what's going on, Jesus? I need you to heal me something. And what I got to was in Mark chapter 10, verses 47. And this man was on the side of the road, and when he had heard that Jesus of Nazareth, had, he started crying out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. 
But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him by or on the way. But let me tell you, in this section of scripture, what I have found in the church is we're way more like the people in the crowd. Where they're looking at Jesus and saying, Hey, you can be crying out to him all you want to, but he's too busy to deal with you. Hey, you got a need. I'm not going to touch you. Hey, you have to do this. No. He won't do that for you. I think it's time for the church to really dig down and, and look at who Jesus is and what he would do. Because there was a time that we all had this moment where we were like blind Bartimaeus, not blind. But we were in a mess. And if we were in the mess, that means he was looking at us and seeing what he needed to fix. But we were all the whole time crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm a mess. I'm a sinner. I need something to come through my life and make me better than what I once was. Jesus, I need you to come in and touch my depression. Jesus, I need you to come in and touch my doubting heart. Jesus, I need you to come in and touch my alcoholism. Jesus, I need you to touch my drug addiction. Jesus, I need you to touch my life in whatever facet, my broken marriage, everything. Have mercy on me. You see, what I'm trying to get at is we had words that went to God, and he didn't cast them down. But instead, he calls us to himself because of what he did on the cross. And what he's trying to get the church to become aware of is the impact that we can have on every single day of our lives. You see, the heart of a giving church is not the heart of a giving, or it, it is not, and it is not the heart, or it, the, what is not the heart of a giving church is where we hear people say, um, uh, we are called to be a place where people hear, or we are, what is called to be a giving church is a, a place where we are hearing and giving people the message of hope. We are called to be a people that love one another, even in the lowest, to help raise them up. We are called to be a body that is seeking to be generous and to encourage one another that even though they might fall, we can help them get back up because his righteous right hand is strong enough to hold more than one. But that also means that we have to realize our words have the power to transform lives. That means when you open your mouth, it can do a lot of things. It's like raising my kids. They're the greatest example I can give into a pulpit because it's what God does to us because we're all his kids. There are days my kids say words and I have to say, what did you just say? And they're like, what? It's like on the way here this morning, Lydia said, Dad, you told me you would do this. And I said, no, I really did not say those words. 
that's using, you using words to manipulate for your own gain. And she says, but that's not what I meant. I said, I know what you didn't mean, but I want you to understand your words matter. Your words matter. It's like grammar. If I said I did these things, I did these things. If I'm saying I'm doing these things, it's I'm actively doing it. Past tense is did. Doing is active. Our words matter. And what I keep reading on the word of God is that he's still working. He's still moving. He's still trying to change the inward heart because his word says that it's in the end days that we'll get to all exalt God in the heavens and then we'll get to spend time with him for eternity in the new earth. But it's until then he's still actively doing it. And what he's trying to say is it's time for the church to step up. To love people where they're the lowest and allow them to have words of encouragement to know that there's still hope for tomorrow. You see, I keep watching these people go around like Seattle talking about Jesus. I keep watching these people go around these other cities that are so, so depraved and wanting to do such horrendous ideas. And they're not willing to shut up because they know that their words are not meant to be divisive where they're casting people down saying, you're going to hell in a handbasket, get ready. No, they're talking about how Jesus loves you. And if he died on the cross for you, it doesn't matter what mess you've been in or where you're going to, there's still hope. You see, the church is meant to be a beacon of a giving church, of, of allowing people to see and sense that there's transformation that can still happen if we would hold on. But the sad truth is, 58% of churchgoers, according to the surveys, say that they are comfortable effectively sharing their faith. Can I just say comfortable? It's not what we're called to be. The word says that we, are able, we should be able, in season and out, to give an, a reason for our faith. To be able to explain it away. Why is it that you accepted Jesus in your life? Why is it you serve him every single day? Let me tell you. I can tell you right now. I can remember the age of 16 where I just felt the Holy Spirit calm down and said, why are you still doing what you're doing? Wake up! And I can remember how God met me right there. But I also remember the backsliding. I also remember my mind going back into the world and everything else. It wasn't until God finally said, what is it that's going to wake you up to allow you to serve me fully and wholeheartedly without anything that's selfish inside of you? And I said, God, if you can transform my outward appearance to everybody else, then I will serve you the rest of my days. He says, done. I can't stop. I didn't quit smoking on my own. He did it. I didn't quit drinking. He did it. I didn't quit the drugs. He did it. I didn't fix my lips. He did it. And if he can do all that, why it makes us think that the world doesn't need to hear the same things? But they only want to hear it is if they understand that we love them. You see, the, the original founding fathers knew that words matter because it would only shape the Constitution and the whole republic to allow us to become a more perfect nation. Let me tell you, to become a more perfect church that's in pursuit of him means that we have to watch the words we say and allow them to be things that edify people. I know you might be in sin. I don't love your sin. But guess what? I love you. You're still valuable. And Jesus loves you just the same. Because what we have to realize is the heart of God is meant to be the heart of restoration and transformation. Barnabas was known as a man of hope. Paul knew 
that his life was radically transformed on the Damascus Road, then he led the church and became the uh, formation of the intellectual part of it. Peter's testimony was he was a rock-hearted, full all-in. He saw what Jesus did and said, I'm not going to stop. But what the church needs to understand is that our work is not done. And we can't sit around in a comfortable idea of what faith is, thinking that that's going to transform anything. Because what we have to really hold on to is what James chapter 2 says, where it says, faith without works is dead. Faith without words is dead. Faith without worship is dead. Faith without seeing lives transformed according to the Great Commission is dead. The church needs to hear the words of truth. Where we really do what Colossians um, 3 says, where it says, so set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see, the giving church is one that understands that our words matter so much that it allows God to get all the glory. Not just singing a worship song. Worship's never about song. It's about the life of obedience. In all aspects. But the desire of the heart of the church needs to keep going towards God and not looking to their own interest. We need to have the ability to spread the message to, of hope to our neighbors, to the streets, to the workplace, to our communities, to our cities, to our states, and to our nations, and ultimately to the world. You see, what I really want to rely on or relay it here this morning is the truth, if you'll stand with me. When Christ, who is your life, appears. We're waiting every single day to see Christ again. We hold on to the promise that he says, I go away and I'm preparing a place for you. And when I come back, get ready. Let me tell you, we're a church waiting for God to get ready. But I also believe that we need to be a church ready to get other people ready. To give it away. To give that hope away that you have every single day. To give that word that God's given you. That word of encouragement that somebody else needs. To give it away. To be the church that's truly saying it's not about me. But God, I'm waiting for you. And until you come, I'm going to still be about your business. And your business was to see the captive set free. To see the poor help. To see the lame walk again. It's time for us to have the heart where our words get put into action. Where our faith needs to be. Because only then can we understand that we'll appear in glory with Him in heaven. And I'm sorry, I'm not done until I see more and more souls get brought up there. Because I don't want to see our neighbors in hell. I don't want to know that they're hurting and and, in anguish, that they don't get to see God at all. I want to see no one lost. And that should be the heart of the church, is to see the lost get saved. But it all starts with your choices. God's still moving, but he wants to move through you. He wants to see a giving church that gives life where there was death, where hope, where there was nothing but desperation. So I want to ask you this morning, is that your heart this morning, or do you want God to come in and give you something new? 
You see, what that means is that you have to surrender your life fully. And if you've never done so this morning, and you want to make him Lord of your life because he's doing something inside of you right now, raise your hand this morning. See one hand. Anybody else this morning? What about you online? I know this message goes out in very for various forms, whether it's live on social media or later throughout the whole entire year. If that's you and you're hearing this message, I don't know why I feel I need to say this, but if that's you, right now is the moment to say he needs to be the Lord of my life because I need a Savior. So if you'll say it with me, church. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I need a Savior to give me my hope. But God, I also need a Savior because I'm a mess. And your word says that you came on this earth. You went to the cross for me. You died on that cross. You were thrown into a grave. And you were risen from the grave. And it's in those aspects that you paid my price and you gave me a hope. So Lord, today I want to walk in that hope. And I'm going to serve you all of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just get a round of applause? But I also want to encourage you this morning. Those that got saved this morning, that's awesome. And I know the angels in heaven are rejoicing. But I don't want them to stop rejoicing because I just got so callous and cold. Where I won't be a church that gives. I'm a church. You're part of the church. We have to give. Only then can we see the lost saved. Only then can we ever see the pews full of people hearing more about what God wants for them. Only then can we only, or only then can we see the lost get something that will awaken their hearts for more. I'm tired of watching people walk around deader than a doorknob and not realizing it. I'm tired of watching them go through the motions. And I'd rather see them grow greater than what they are. So the Lord Jesus, I thank you for today, Lord. I just ask that you put something in each and every one of us this morning to awaken us up our minds, Lord. Waken up our hearts, Lord. To beat more in tune for yours, Lord. To look at the lost loved ones and realize that words matter. And our words have the ability to transform the community if we would just open them up, Lord, and let your spirit come through and be the empowerment of what we need. God, I ask you to touch each and every person in this room, each and every person that's watching the live stream or getting it whatever way. Lord, I ask you to give them purpose. Give them words. Give them passion. And give them a heart of love in every aspect. God, we need you to move. God, we want you to move. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in everything that we do. Empower us to get through each and every moment and let us be a church that is the giving church, the one that's living and breathing for you in all that we are. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it's good to see every single one of you this morning, or this afternoon now. I ask that you just go and enjoy your fellowship with your lunch. Go and love one another as the Lord loves you with everything he has, but also love the Lord God with everything you have. And go and fulfill the commandment. We love you all. We'll see you guys soon.